Thank you for joining us for our Renewal City Church podcast. If you're looking for ways to get involved, join us on Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. at the Roxy Theater in Longview. Or find us online at rcclongview.org. We hope you're blessed and that this message finds you well. First and foremost, I just want to welcome you this morning. Uh, My name is Danny. Uh, If you are new here, if this is your first time or maybe third, fourth time, you're still new, we welcome you especially. Um, I usually start these things by by giving a disclaimer that I don't work here, but I can't do that anymore because as of this month, I'm actually the theater manager here. Uh, So... If, I, uh, if you have an event that you need planned, birthday party, uh, you know, wedding, UFC fight, I don't know what you guys do, um, we are welcome to accommodate you here. Uh, reach out to me, and I'll, I'll be happy to connect with you. Uh, let's see. We've been here since late 2017. Uh, before that, I oversaw the music ministry at Compass Church in Vancouver. And before that, um, we went to a church here in Kelso for several years. And before that, I just didn't go to church. Um, I didn't grow up in the church, aside from being really little and going to mass with my mom. Um, I always knew there was a God. I just thought he was out there somewhere for people who were holier than I was. So, um, So if that's where you're at today, if you feel doubt about whether or not you belong here, I'm going to tell you that you do. Here at Renewal, we believe that Jesus is for everyone, he uses everyone, and he changes everything. And uh, we're just so glad that you're here. I was going to tell you a really funny story this morning about involving a Stephen King story and a pain can. But something happened last night, and I'll tell you that story another time. But uh, it's, it's good. It's just something else is better. Um, so... Have you guys ever noticed or or known anyone who rides a motorcycle and that's all they talk about? Like every chance they get, they just work it into conversation, right? Uh, You know, you're talking about lunch plans or what's going on at work and somehow talking about your bike. You know, it's super annoying. So anyway, I ride a motorcycle and uh, I do all, if not most of my maintenance. And I've been working on the brakes a lot because... It's just been fighting me. This brake system has been really difficult to work through. And uh, yesterday I made a lot of headway. So last night I just thought, okay, I'll just go around the block and, you know, kind of give it a test. And, uh, and everything seems to be working okay. So uh, I realized I'm, I'm a little low on gas. So I go to the gas station. And as I pull in, I see this family kind of off to the side. And they just have a sign that says, need gas. And they're holding a a gas can, you know, a little five-gallon gas can. So I kind of get off my bike and, you know, fuel up. And then I just say, you know, what's the worst that can happen? Let's wave him over. So he comes over, and uh, it's this this Hispanic man, and he comes up to me. And I said, do you need gas? And he said, yeah. And I said, do you speak Spanish? And he said, si. And so then we had a conversation. I filled up his can. And in the process of this, I see his wife standing by their van, and they have three little kids. Um, And just something inside me just broke for these people because as I'm looking at this man, I look into his eyes, and I see just utter defeat, you know. And 
I think back to the times where I've felt that in my own life, that sting that, that you feel when the enemy whispers in your ear, you are not enough. You're not enough of a man. You're not enough of a husband. You're not enough of a father. And I'm sure that some of you have felt that here. And as I looked at this man, I just, I couldn't help it. I couldn't help but just feel for him. So I filled up his gas can and I went home and I, and I talked to Joel and I said, look, you know, this is what happened. I'm sorry, but I spent some extra money on gas. Um, and she was like, no, don't worry about it. I, you know, if they're still there. And I said, well, I don't know. So long story short, I, I grabbed some cash and I went back down there. I talked to him a little more. I offered to fill up their van, but he said that that was enough. All they were trying to do is get home to Spokane because that's where they're from. They had come into um, this area for an appointment that they had, and they were just trying to make it home. So I gave him, you know, a few bucks and, and talked to him for a little while. Turns out his name was Jesus, which is kind of funny. Uh, and I just shared, you know, I said, look, God's been really good to me, and I want to be good to you. Uh, in, is just to pass it on. So I prayed for him a little bit, and then, and then off they went. And, you know, the kids looked really happy. The wife was really happy. And and I was really happy because I, I felt good for doing a good thing. And I'm not telling you this story so that you can feel good for me or that I can feel good for myself. But I just want to remind you that church doesn't start and end here. That when you leave this building, this is the kind of stuff you're fighting day in and day out. And this, I thought, was a really practical example because, as we all know, gas prices are really high. And if you have to choose between feeding your three kids or making it home, that's a really tough spot to be in. If you ride a motorcycle, it's a little cheaper because it takes less gas, you get more mileage, you know. You get, you get the drill. But church doesn't start and end here. This hour that I have here with you guys, hour and a half, is not the be-all, end-all. That these are the real practical ways in which you can be Jesus to others. And it doesn't, you don't have to give money. You don't have to uh, go beyond your means. Call somebody this week. Ask them how they're doing. Don't text them. Call them. Or, or I mean, if you're really shy, you can text them. But um, text a friend. Call a friend. Ask, how are you doing? Is there anything I can do for you? When you go to work tomorrow, talk to someone about how they're doing. And just be an encouragement. It's free to be an encouragement. It's even cheaper to smile. So just a smile and embrace, uh, just be Jesus to others. And as I got home, I couldn't, I couldn't get this guy out of my head, and I thought about it, you know, kind of all night, really. Uh, it just reminded me of somebody who feels like they don't belong, and uh at the end of the day, if you're here, you belong. And if wouldn't you want others to be here as well and to belong as well? So anyway, that's the end of my rant. I'll tell you the Stephen King story another day. Um, we are talking about the last chapter in Judges. Um, so let's see. For 20 chapters... The people of God have basically done whatever they want. 
I mean, that's the really short synopsis, right? God continues to appoint a judge and tell them, this is the guy who's going to lead you to where you need to go. This is the guy who's going to interpret my will and give it to you in a directive. And continuously, the people of God have said, no thanks. We're going to do something else. We don't like that guy. We don't like what he has to say. We're going to do something else. By the end of chapter 20, they have gone and murdered some, something like over 20,000 Benjamites, right? They've killed all the fighting men. Uh, whoever was left went into the desert because they were afraid for their lives. And while they're doing that, the, the people of Israelite, the other 11 tribes, have come and basically slaughtered everybody. And it's not a pretty picture. It's about as far from God's will as they could get. Uh, all along the way, I, as I was thinking about this, speaking this morning, and really kind of what the point I want to make is, if there's, if there's anything you take away from this morning, uh, from what I have to say, it's just, it really comes down to pride, right? That they have this prideful sense of knowledge that their judgment and their knowledge is higher than God's judgment and knowledge. Like I mentioned briefly, I, I grew up going to Mass, and we talked a lot about original sin. And if you're new to church or you're new to the story of God, early in Genesis, God has created the world, and he saw that it was good. He's made Adam and Eve, and they're just hanging out, and everything's really good. And then... The enemy is introduced early on, and he points to this tree that is the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Long story short, God says, don't eat from it. Spoiler alert, they eat from it. And that's where we get sin. And I've always thought that was kind of curious. Like, why would it be bad for you to know what is good and what is evil? And so I was, think as I was, I was thinking about this, speaking this morning, I thought, well, I don't think God would deny that there are truly evil things and truly good things. And it's not that he doesn't want you to know that. He just doesn't want you to have the pride to make that decision on your own. And that's what we've seen time and again from the Israelites. That as, as they've decided, I know what's good, I know what's evil. I will draw the line and act based on my own knowledge and judgment. So we pick up in chapter 21. Um, basically, at this point, they've become so self-centered and they've built so much momentum going the wrong way that they're just kind of like a runaway train, right? It's like bad decision after bad decision after bad decision after bad decision, and just all that momentum is headed the wrong way. So the start of chapter 21, um, you know, the, the remaining men of Israel, so the, the remaining men from the 11 tribes, Basically, he says, uh, the men of Israel had taken an oath at Mizpah. Not one of us will give his daughter in marriage to a Benjamite. It's not bad enough that we killed all the guys. If there are any guys left, we're not going to give them our daughters in marriage. So the people went to Bethel, where they sat before God until evening, raising their voices and weeping bitterly. Lord God of Israel, they cried, why has this happened to Israel? Why should one tribe be missing from Israel today? Early the next day, the people built an altar and presented burnt offerings and fellowship offerings. That seems like a loaded question, right? Why has this happened to Israel? Because 
all along the way, God had been offering boundaries, right? And, and I'm talking about a runaway train. When you have a train, you need those tracks. Otherwise, the train isn't moving. Or if it is moving, it's not going in the right direction. We need those tracks. And just like the people of Israel today, us, we here in America, tend to feel like boundaries are bad. Boundaries are the things that keep you from doing what you want to do. Boundaries are the things that limit you and that you have to um, respect. And it's sort of, it's an, we tend to view it as an oppressive thing rather than what it really is. Israel had repeatedly denied God's steering. And they were trying to create their own tracks, right, essentially. So rather than listening to God's word and continuing on the path that he had set before them, they're saying, we will fix this by making a pact that we're not going to let the Benjamites marry our daughters. That's going to fix it. They were so consumed with vengeance after killing 25,000 Benjamites that they make this oath, and now they're just running away with this. I don't know what counsel they had that decided this was a good idea. I tend to think of God's guidance in a little more gentle way on this side of the Old Testament. Uh, I don't feel like my life has ever been ran down tracks, although um, the nudging is a little more gentle. But at the time, they were in such disarray. This is exactly what they needed. They needed someone to come along and say, this is the path from A to B. You need to stay on these tracks. You have gone completely off the rails. They had built so much momentum that way that they just couldn't get away from it. We continue on in the chapter. And basically, they're taking, they're taking roll call. Who's missing? Well, the Benjamites are, are missing. Then the whole assembly sent an offer of peace to the Benjamites at the Rock of Rimmon. So Rock of Rimmon is, is in the wilderness. That's where all the remaining men had gone to. So the Benjamites returned at that time and were given the women of Jabesh Gilead who had been spared. But there were not enough for all of them. So their way of creating this new tract is to say, okay, we killed almost everybody, but whoever's left, here's the remainder of your people. Very sad situation. The people grieved for Benjamin, this is verse 15, the people grieved for Benjamin because the Lord had made a gap in the tribes of Israel. And the elders of the, the assembly said, with the women of Benjamin destroyed, how shall we provide wives for the men who are left? The Benjamite survivors must have heirs, they said, so that a tribe of Israel will not be wiped out. We can't give them our daughters as wives since we Israelites have taken this oath. Cursed be anyone who gives a wife to Benjamite. But look, there is the annual festival of the Lord in Shiloh, which lies north of Bethel, east of the road that goes from Bethel to Shechem and south of Lebanon. So they instructed the Benjamites, saying, Go and hide in the vineyards and watch. When the young women of Shiloh come out to join in the dancing, rush from the vineyards, and each of you sees one of them to be your wife. 
Okay, sounds good. It'd have been a lot easier if they had motorcycles to haul, haul their wives around. I should have asked Mackenzie to put a tracker up here of how many times I say the word motorcycle. When their, when their fathers or brothers complain to us, we will say to them, do us the favor of helping them because we did not get wives for them during the war. You will not be guilty of breaking your oath because you did not give your daughters to them. Sorry, let me get back to my notes here. So in their desperation, instead of turning back to God, what do they do? They turn to more wickedness, right? So their way of atoning for all this horrible things that they've done to the Benjamites is to say, hey, here's what we're going to do. We're going to help you kidnap some wives. So at this point, if we, if we can agree that God's word is a map or a compass, for example, you know that a compass, when it points north, uh, or a compass always points north, regardless of where you're at, if it's working properly. And when you look at a map, north is the same direction, whether you hold it this way, or this way, or this way, or upside down. Essentially, what the people of, of God are doing, then, is trying to say, we know true north, we know the word of God, but what we're going to do is we're going to turn the map and we're going to make true north head this way. You can't make true north face any other direction just because you wanted to. It doesn't work. This is where the danger of knowing good and evil comes in. Uh, we can be so proud that we change the topography of our faith to fit our agenda. Israel, in this case, is like an like a upside-down map or a broken compass, that their true north has become so distorted, they're trying to find their way using a bum map. Naturally, what they arrive at is, we should kidnap some people. So that is what the Benjamites did. While the young women were dancing, each man caught one and carried her off to be his wife. Then they returned to their inheritance and rebuilt the towns and settled in them. At that time, the Israelites left that place and went home to their tribes and clans, each to his own inheritance. The very last verse, 25. In those days, Israel had no king, and everyone did as they saw fit. See, it's pretty easy for me to see parallels in this story with my own life. Like I said, I didn't go to church for a long time. I didn't have people in my life give me sound advice or sort of checking me or pointing me to my tracks or my boundaries. And I would make decisions based on whatever I felt like. I don't know if you felt that way, but it was pretty easy for me to do that. I didn't have anybody giving me sound counsel or pointing me to, the, to a true north that I could follow. Without guidance from God and from godly people around us, we're left to do as we see fit. And it's in that environment that sin really thrives, isn't it? It's, if you've ever taken uh, a course to get your food handler's card, you know that there's a danger zone where food can't go below this temperature or above this temperature. 
Think of that place as the sin danger zone. When you have no guidance from people around you or the word of God, that, that is where sin festers and grows. And if you don't have anybody to look at you and say, you are enough because he is enough, you start believing that lie. And the sting of pride starts to build in such a way that you build momentum. And the next thing you know, you make one wrong decision. And to fix that decision, you make another wrong decision. And maybe you're not kidnapping wives. But maybe you're looking at pornography. Or being proud or selfish, angry. Maybe you're not out killing people. But you're spending less and less time with the people who do matter in your life. You're spending time consumed in your own thoughts, isolated, trying to get ahead of your own sin by changing, trying to change the direction of true north. It doesn't work. It will never work. I know because I've done it. I know I talk about this a lot, but I'm a pretty selfish person. Uh, I'm self-centered. I can get one-track minded. I've been working on this motorcycle for like two weeks, every, every chance I get. My wife jokes that whenever we're out and about and I hear a motorcycle coming down the road, I do this. She says I, I cheat on her with every motorcycle in town. Uh, that is exactly what she said. And in my pride, I don't recognize it. Why? Because original sin dictates that I know good and evil, yet I choose to do evil. Not because I don't know what's good and what's evil, but because I think I know better than God and what he says is good and what he says is evil. Time and again, the Israelites experience loss, death, grief, and separation from God as a result. It's the knowledge of good and evil that whispers in your ear, surely it's not that bad. Surely it's not that big of a deal if you fill in the blank. Surely it's not that big of a deal if you're proud, angry, isolated, selfish. Surely it's not that big of a deal if you look at this thing on the computer. Surely it's not that big of a deal if you lie, if you hide. Surely it's not that big of a deal. And that's the same message we get from Genesis, that when the enemy enters the picture, he says, surely it's not that big of a deal if you take a bite from that apple. It's the same message that I'm sure the Israelites listen to when they start killing people. Surely it's not that big of a deal because we're exacting vengeance on these people. Surely it's not that big of a deal that we're kidnapping innocent people to fulfill our own wicked desire to make it right. Surely it's not that big of a deal. We do live, however, in a time and day where everything, every message we hear is about individualism and doing what you want. 
Just do it. Have it your way. What's in your wallet? And I will be passing the collection plate. I'm just kidding. No, but that, that would be a good one, right? What's in your wallet? And here comes the collection plate. Uh, I think if we can take one thing away from the book of Judges, let it be this. God loves you so much that he will go to, through great lengths to make sure that you have the guidance you need in your life. He will not forsake you, but instead lead you to the next step and the next step after that. It's your choice to follow or not. In fact, he loved you so much that he sent Jesus to turn the tide and bring a judge who would step into the role of defendant and carry out your sentence in your behalf. Not just somebody to say, this is the way to go. This is what you need to do. This is what you need to avoid. But someone to say, I know because I did it and I've done it for you today and I will do it for you tomorrow and forever and ever. So long as you just follow. See, sometimes we make things more complicated than they need to be. And sometimes those tracks aren't as com complicated as we can make them to be. I see homeless people all the time. I mean, I'm sure you do too, especially nowadays. The first thing that comes to my mind is they're homeless because of something they've done. I'll just be real. I've worked with a lot of drug addicts over the years. I know how addicts behave. I know the kind of quality of life that addicts have as a result of their actions. I love drug addicts, don't get me wrong. Drug addicts are some of my favorite people in the whole world. They're super resourceful. I mean, you kind of have to be, right, if you're living in that, in that lifestyle. But if I'm honest with myself, that's my first thought. Whenever I see someone homeless, I go, what did they do to, to end here? And I don't always take a, a second look. I don't always feel the need to engage them in conversation, let alone give them any money for anything. For some reason, last night, as I'm in the parking lot getting gas, I just felt the nudge. I felt the nudge before, plenty of times, and I haven't done anything about it. For some reason, last night, I felt the nudge, and I said, okay, God, I don't know why you want me to talk to these people. I don't know why you want me to fill their gas jug. But sure, let's go ahead and do it. And it was so rewarding, you guys. And that's the beauty of having a judge who's so gentle is that all you have to do to know what the track is is listen and to position yourself in such a way that when you listen and you hear it and you feel the nudge, all you have to do is act. It's super simple. God loves you very, very, very much. And he gives you these tracks not so that you can be restricted and not so that you can be oppressed and not so that you can be bogged down, but so that you can flourish and that you can, in this track, make stops along the way and bring people along with you for the ride. And the more you, you chug along, the more steady you are in these tracks, the more that's going to show. And the more people are going to look at you and go, what is wrong with that guy? Why does he care? 
Why does he act this way? Why does his life look this way? And that creates opportunity for you to go, I'm following my true north. I'm choosing to look at this map. And in this map, I know the direction I need to go. And in that direction, there is joy and happiness. And I want that for you as well. When I was a little kid, I'll tell you the story. When I was a little kid, uh, must have been like seven or eight, we had a Betamax player. Does anybody remember Betamax players? They were like VHS players, but chunkier and a little more awkward. And they never survived VHS. VHS completely wiped it out. And we had like three tapes, okay? Uh, and one of them was Stephen King's It. Uh, I don't know if you've ever seen this movie, but it scared the bejesus out of me because one of the rules of the Betamax player was that I wasn't allowed to pop this tape in when my parents weren't home. I get home from school one day, my parents aren't home, and I pop it in because I know better, right? My judgment is greater than my parents' judgment. How bad can it be? I love scary movies. Don't get me wrong. Absolutely love them. So I pop this tape in. There's a scene Essentially, if you don't know the story, it's about this entity that takes the form of the fears of a group of kids to scare them and separate them and basically make them weaker by making, making them afraid. And the more afraid they are, the stronger this entity becomes. It takes form of a clown most of the time, which is scary enough. Um, and there's a scene where this, this boy's taking a shower at school after PE and uh, the clown comes up through the drain, and my gosh, that scared me like you wouldn't believe. For the next several weeks, and I'm not making this up, I had to shower with a paint can over the drain because I just knew that the clown was going to come up any second and get me. I told you it's a good story. Um, but that's that's how we tend to think. We think we know better, and in the end... What we think we want isn't what we wanted to begin with. In this knowing of good and evil, we get ahead of ourselves. And if only we could do this, if only we could do that. And I don't have to listen to God or listen to my friends or listen to my family or listen to those who care about me. Then I'll be happy because I'll get fill in the blank. More often than not, when you get there, it's not what you thought of. It would be at all. And the next thing you know, you've gone further than you wanted to go and stay there longer than you intended to stay. So all I really wanted to say today is don't let that pride get the best of you. Be willing to listen to those around you and listen to the word of God and stay on that track. Be faithful on that track. It may not be today, and it may not be tomorrow, but I promise you, God always reveals his plan. And I'm saying this as much to you as I'm saying it to myself because I'm really impatient. I'm really, really impatient. It's a big fault of mine. My wife can tell you. I cannot wait for things. If I order something online, I'm watching the tracking every day. Where is it today? If I'm waiting for an answer from someone, I start to get anxious. Why aren't they answering me? But that's what faith is, really. You wait in the unknown, 
trusting the map, trusting the tracks, knowing that when you reach your destination, you will be rewarded. Now, the Israelites wouldn't be rewarded for quite a while. Their story is really sad when you think about it. And when we read it, we're so far removed. It seems like such a long time ago. But I want you to know that they didn't start out killing 25,000 people. They started out one step at a time. And it's so easy for you and I today to start going down the wrong path one step at a time. Sometimes it's a big step, but really all it takes is one little step to derail you. One little misguided, misjudged step. And if you don't course correct and you don't have people in your life to tell you you are going the wrong direction, you're never going to get off that track. God loves you so, so much. So much so that he will give you opportunities all along the way. And we see in scripture all along the way there's opportunities for course correction all the way through revelation. So be people who listen. Be people who are acknowledge, acknowledge your own pride. And be people who are willing to say, I made a mistake, God. Please forgive me. Help me get back on the right path. And I promise you it'll be worth it. I just want to say this last year has been really difficult for me. And um, I appreciate your kindness and everything you've done for me and my family. And in that time, I, I've had... A couple of you tell me how much you respect the way I carried myself. And uh, you've pointed out that I've handled it well, and I really appreciate that. But in the time, it sure didn't feel like it. It's been really difficult. And I struggle still today to feel normal. But I know that in that time, I could have very easily taken a wrong step. And that next step would have been a wrong step as well. And the step after that would have been wrong. And after that, and it would have been not good. But I just want you to, to know, it's never too late to turn away from that wrong step. There is pride in thinking that you know better and that you can judge better than God. Like the song we talked about, or we just sang, he is, he is just yet also kind. And that is so true. It's not that God doesn't see every wrong step you've made. It's that he's kind to forgive you for it. Let's pray. Lord God, I just thank you for everybody here this morning. I thank you that we can come together as a, as a family here, that we can own up every wrong step, 
with each other, that we don't have to bear that burden by ourselves, that we don't have to uh, stay stuck, especially when we have people who care about us, who love us, and who want to be just like you are to us. And Lord, I just pray for the courage that as we go from here that we would be that way to others outside of here, in our homes, in our places of employment, in our communities. Lord God, let us be people who point to your map, to your true north, people who say, I know Jesus, and Jesus knows me fully. And he still loves me, and if he loves me, he surely loves you. God is in your beautiful and precious name we pray. Amen.